So I guess the talk we are going to have today will be quite a lot of, uh, you know, myth-busting talk, but there might be things said and done which will also uh, attack preconceived notions. So we should be ready for controversy as it is. <laughs> well, for that, we are ready 24-7. 24-7. And I guess the fact is that now everyone knows what the significance of June is in the Sikh world today. And I guess as the story runs, what we can relate or what we can, you know, reiterate, I guess, at this stage is that, you know, as we know, what happened is that, you know, the Indian armed forces stormed Darbar Sahib and countless other Gurdwaras. And, you know, there was Operation Blue Star, Operation Woodrose. And of the day, it has alienated the Sikhs from the national mainstream. And the alienation is still strong there. So <clears throat> in a way, you can say that both sides made mistakes there were strategic mistakes on the Sikh side you know and I guess the biggest thing down here the way I look at it is that in the past if you look at the Sikh gurus Guru Nanak selected a very strong and resolute successor and he was comfortable with his choice he knew his mission would continue we had the we have a similar uh, thing playing out with Guru Anga, the Guru Amar Das, Guru Ram Das, Guru Arjun now when we come to Guru Arjun the stakes are a bit high Nonetheless, although well, the stakes are seemingly a bit high, nonetheless, he selects a very able successor in the form of Guru Hargobind. Now, interestingly enough, we see Guru Hargobind Sahibji as a warrior guru who was, you know, selected by his father to succeed to the mantle of guruship. But what is, you know, not known as much is that when Dr. Daljeet Singh actually studied the Kartarpuri beard, there were three signatures on the beard, which were, you know, verified as being, you know, genuine. So there is Guru Arjan Soin uh, signature as the compiler slash editor by Gurdas as the scribe. And then Guru Hargobind Saibji's signature is the, you know, the collector of Bani who actually would have collected the different sources and then, you know, laid them out in a comprehensive fashion for his father. So there was that intellectual capability as well in the Sikh Gurus. Then we have Guru Harai, Guru Harkrishan, then Guru Tegbad, then Guru Gobind Singh. Do you know, when we come to Banda Singh, now here's something which is very interesting. Glam Mohiuddin, who we have discussed in the Banda podcast, actually, uh, you know, recorded the terms of surrender which were negotiated with the Sikhs. He actually writes that, you know, one of the terms was that Banda would bring uh, to bay any other disparate Sikh rebels connected with him. And even though he doesn't mention any names explicitly, what he gives out is the implication that the name which was connected, that, you know, if Banda was killed, the individual who would continue his mission was none other than Baba Binod Singh. Now, of course, we can discuss the quandary in another episode that many Sikhs today believe Baba Binod Singh betrayed Banda Singh, etc., etc. But like we discussed last time, Binod Singh might not be as devious as is being pointed out. The role was, you know, quite holy uh, speaking, Gan Singh's in betraying Banda Singh. Nonetheless, after Banda, we have this continued line of succession. Disparate as it is, it is still there. And then we have uh, Nwab Kapoor Singh come along to carve out, you know, Khalsa Raj. We have the Khalsa missiles. And for what it's worth, we have Maharaja Ranjit Singh succeeding them. So in a way, succession has been a very important part of all Sikh conflicts. When we come down to the 80s, I guess there's a very... Uh, grim picture that there seems to be no successive leadership to take up the mantle 
of that previous leadership, if it's accepted that that leadership was fighting for something which was, you know, justified. I mean, would you agree with that uh, statement? Yeah, I'm still listening. Yep. And would you agree with it that after, I guess, uh, the way people see it now, of course, the figure of uh, Jarnail Singh Pindra, while well, elicits much controversy, much discussion. But if you look at it after, uh, you know, his demise, there was no singular uh, force which managed to weld those disparate bands together in any way or any form. There was no singular force. That's true. You know, so a lot of people, you know, fragmented before from the original path at that time. They did fragment from that. I mean, for whatever his faults were, at least you can't deny he had them united on one platform. But then you see there was a, there were many fatal miscalculations on their part, which led to a situation. And I remember reading something from, you know, while I was researching for my book that um, when these guys, when in 1986, they had a massive, uh, well, it was allegedly a Sarbat Khalsa, but as we know, only one institute dominated the stage and guided the policy. Afterwards, as many journalists and, you know, spies, etc., and even the militants themselves noted that, you know, there was so much uh, conflict, so much discord among these various factions that they just decided to split and go their own way. So when, you know, the first Black Thunder happened, while it was touted as being something which was a decisive victory for the state, at least, what the, you know, the pundits, the experts, what they actually uh, revealed was that by no means was this a victory because the groups were discordant in the first place. They were never static in the Darbar Sahib and by attacking Darbar Sahib, each group was inflamed further anyway. This was the second attack. So as we can see, <clears throat> something even uh, the book Sikhs of the Punjab, which was written during this time, well, what even that book notes is that even though the picture of these uh, various groups was given out as being, you know, something similar to the Sikh missiles, they were never uh, united. They never had a singular sense of purpose, a united purpose, which animated the missiles. Hmm. And I guess those of us, you and me, who grew up at the tail end of the militancy, we can pretty much confirm that as well. There was no united sense of purpose ever everyone had their own different version of what they were fighting for, what their goal was, and what the eventual outcome should look like. That would be true. There are actually videos of uh, the card crew surrendering, and uh, they... I think, uh, I think I do remember a video of, of a young kid, and he said that people have become selfish, and they are now working for themselves, not for the punt anymore. Uh, not for the punt anymore. Anyway... <clears throat> After those events happen, the way which it usually happens with any community, but I guess uh, foremost with the Sikhs is that, you know, those events galvanize us and then we attempt to preserve those uh, such events, such incidents for posterity by interlinking them with their past. Now, if you look at the Banda Singh era, uh, one year after Banda Singh, Binod Singh, you know, dies fighting, so Mani Singh takes over and... Uh, this we are talking is recent history, but you know, by Mani Singh would usually refer to the Shidi of Guru Arjan, the struggles of Guru Nanak. So the way they saw those events, which happened, you know, almost a century before them, the Sikhs back then, was that these were organic events which still linked to their uh, present. 
So they saw their struggle as succeeding those past struggles. And I guess today, while we say that the uh, you know current struggles we have in the political dimensions uh, worldwide, they are you know successive to those past struggles that you know the struggles we have today are you know uh, continuing from the past. It's only lip service. We are never able to get that sentiment of you know. If they struggled in the past, we are struggling today. If they won back, then we can win today as well. We just leave it by saying that, look, there's a struggle. We are struggling. End of story. There's never any resolution as to how we are going to triumph over the struggle. Would you say that would be like living in, living in nostalgia? I guess the... Well, I guess there's nothing wrong with living in nostalgia as long as you can constrain it to a certain degree. But I guess we are taking the wrong inspiration from the past. And uh, we will get on to discussing that as well. But the thing is that, you know, if you look at after Bandar Singh Badari, you discussed Nawab Kapoor Singh, you know, Nawab Kapoor Singh came to the fore, etc. He would have seen that, you know, we are struggling from the Guru's time. But Rather than focusing on the struggle itself, he also focused on the fact that Sikhs in the past were able to come up with solutions. We need to come up with their, our own solutions, which are you know relevant to the contemporary context. And what we have today is we have no one who's going to step forward and say, look, we have problems, we have issues. Here, these are the solutions we believe should be implemented. We have no one like that. Everyone is content to feel sorry for themselves and value and misery. Really, what I'm saying is everyone is happy to remain down in the dumps. No one wants to struggle to reach greater heights. No one wants to struggle to reach greater heights. Yeah, no one wants to make an effort. That's what I'm saying, really. So, yep, well, yeah, there's a lot to unravel here, yeah. There's a lot to unravel, and I guess the foremost thing today we have is that this is called Shidiya the Hafta. You know that these are the days of the Shidi Shidiya, that then whatever happened in the intellects with the past. You know the Shidi of Guru Arjan. Now the fact is, whether you love them or whether you hate them, there is a whole spectrum of the sequel today, which is always going to you know look at. Sikhi and martyrdom as being synonymous. <clears throat> now, the first thing is there are two sorts of, you know, martyrdoms in my calculation, in my eyes. And I guess if you're talking about the essence of martyrdom, the essence of martyrdom remains the same. You know, someone who dies for their faith, for their principles, for their beliefs, it doesn't matter how they die as long as they've made a resolute stand and they died defending what they believe in. So the first category we have is what I like to call associative martyrs. Now, martyrdom by association, you can call it that as well, if you want to indulge in semantics. So what it really means is that, you know, for example, if something happens today and the Sikhs are targeted, and you and me are walking on the street, and our only fault is to have turbans on our heads and beards on our faces, and we are killed for this, then we are martyrs by association that we are associated with a certain belief or a certain principle which goes against the times and we are targeted thus. So the thing with associative martyrdom or martyrdom by association is that the people who are killed eventually, who are made martyrs, 
they have no desire or no, uh, I guess, goal to eventually die. Hmm. Okay. And we have many examples of this. I mean, we can, like, you know, the Jews who died during the Holocaust, how many of them do you think would have, you know, come out of their houses prepared to die? Not many would have been prepared to die, but they were killed because they were Jews. Or, you know, Sikhs during the Chota Kalukara, Vada Kalukara, and Jaliyawala Bagh, you know, what happened after Indra was killed all over India, etc., etc. So we have many examples, even those, the Sangats and Blue Star, they were, you know, these are martyrs by association or associative martyrs. Then the second category we have are what we call, or what I call, I guess, and this is, I'm just making up these words as I go along because the sentiments are forming in my mind, the concepts are in my mind. These are what we should be calling orientated martyrs. So they have an orientation in them to die for what they believe in. So martyrs by orientation or orientated martyrs, this would be Guru Arjan, Guru Tegh Bahadur, Pai Taru Singh, Banda Singh Bahadur, all those who lived their life a certain way, a particular way, refused to concede ground on their principles and accepted death rather than, you know, living under the foe's foot. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these are orientated martyrs. Now, in these two categories, something you need to note, and unfortunately among Sikh preachers, there has started this current wave where they claim that, you know, martyrdom is going to, uh, you know, uh, how would you say, pardon your sins. If you die fighting in a certain place, all your past sins will be washed away, etc., etc. So all these sentiments are reflective of what happened during the Crusades. You know what happened during the Crusades? Hey, they went from Europe all the way to the Middle East. The worst rapists, plunderers, sinners, all of them went there because the Pope told them that, you know, if you succeed in your fighting, you will be forgiven your sins. And if you die fighting, you will be forgiven your sins anyway. So these were people who had no interest in living, you know, life as their, uh, I guess their principles, as their principles donated, and no, nor were they, you know, martyrs by association. These were people who were in it for themselves. And a similar sentiment animated, you know, the Prophet Muhammad's armies during his first few battles, because really what he did was he collected a ragtag bunch of, uh, you know, marauders and bandits. That's how they actually, you know, posit his first armies. And anyway, what he said was that if you die fighting, you're a martyr, right? And somehow this has become the definition of martyrdom throughout the religious world. You die fighting, you're a martyr. What no one is looking at is speaking fundamentally is that the person who dies fighting, the martyr, did they live as their principles donated? Very important point. Very important point. And I guess the first thing is that <clears throat> today we have this thing that many people ask, you know, when they look at the photos of June or, you know, even pictures before then, paintings, is that how were they able to do that? You know, how were they able to die? And I guess the thing is that, as we discussed last time as well, that, you know, how Pai Taru Singh understood Gurbani, how Guru Gobind Singh saw Gurbani would be very different from how we see it today. Today, we see it as a renunciative and meditative text, which, you know, we should be closing our eyes, listening and, you know, saying Satanam Vaheguru to whatever is read out. They would have seen it as being life-changing and dynamic injunctions, and they would have tried living their life by those injunctions. And that ultimately brought them into conflict with the powers that be. 
So the fundamental thing, the first thing we need to understand is the creed of martyrdom and Sikhi is not what it is in other faiths. So in Sikhi, we don't have reincarnation that you die fighting for dharma, you reincarnate as a Brahmin and then you can get mukti. We don't have that. So in Sikhi, martyrdom is not quid pro quo. In Islam and Christianity, if you die fighting for your faith, you're given heavenly awards. We have nothing like that. So in Sikhi, martyrdom is selfless as well. Yep. And no the, heavenly bibia for us. <laughs> no heavenly bibia or heavenly real estate for us. Anyhow, the third thing down here, again, is that the martyr has to live his life or her life as a martyr, as a jinda shaheed, before becoming shaheed themselves. Okay, I, I have a few small questions that can be answered either yes or no. Yep. If somebody, let's say, he, he's for a battle, yeah, a legitimate yep. battle. Yep. For good reasons. Yep. He retired from the battle the same day he dies from a snake bite. Is he a shaheed? No. Okay. You have lived your entire life. Let's say you are, you are 40 years old. Let's yep. say. You yep. have lived your entire life living your principles, serving Sikhi. Well, for your Sikhs, we're going to talk about Sikhi. And uh, Unfortunately, you fall ill and you die. Are you a shaheed then? Uh, no. Let's say uh, you fell off your horse and you broke your back and uh, blah, 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 you die. Are you a shaheed then? No. Okay. Uh, Somebody is chasing you, let's say, mm. and you try to hide, but you know, the, the person you're hiding or whosoever gave you shelter, he backstabs you. Are you a shaheed mm. then? Okay, this is where I'll say you are a martyr because really what I'm how we are interpreting martyrdom is the direct confrontation between you and the tyrant where the tyrant kills you or arranges your killing. Okay, and what's the difference between a murder and shihidi? I guess these go hand in hand. So if we look at it from the tyrant's perspective, if you look at it from Vazir Khan's perspective, did Vazir Khan murder the Saib Jadis or did he martyr the Saib Jadis? Uh, well, that's the that's the point I'm trying to get to. Well, not, not just the Saib Jadis, anybody who was in that position. For us, for the people who draw inspiration from the Saib Jadis, from martyrs, there will be martyrs because in the context of what we are discussing, Shidi means not conceding on your beliefs and sacrificing your life with the life being the highest gift you have been given by your creator. So you know how Guru Nanak, uh, in Gurbani it says, that you know this is your one-off chance to meet your maker. And if this one-off chance, you're ready to sacrifice this one-off chance rather than live under someone else, you are a martyr. You know you're not coming back. There is no charasida ger. There is nothing like that. You're getting nothing in turn. You don't know what's going to happen after you die, you know? And you are still willing to jump into the unknown just to take a stand for your beliefs, for your convictions, for your principles. That is martyrdom. The guy, the individual, the aggressor who's martyring you, he is essentially murdering you. His sin is called murder. Your virtue is called martyrdom. 
that's a very important dis uh, distinction we need to make between murder and shahidi. That's the thing. I mean, unfortunately, I don't know how our Sikhs are thinking. If you look at some of these, you know, uh, narratives written for kids, Vazir Khan martyred the Sahib Jadas, as if Vazir Khan did some big service on the Sahib Jadas. You know, we need to be drawing distinctions down here. And you know how this has worked out is that if someone says that, you know, the aggressor martyred a few Sikhs, it's almost like giving the aggressor a free, you know, ticket. You can get away with it. Mm -hmm. I, I understand you. And, you know, uh, and then, yep. Okay. So going along, along the same path, uh, yep. would you say that, let's say back in the days in the early or mid 1700s, yep, you were fighting to protect Sikhi, and you were living to protect Sikhi and Sikh heritage. Yeah. Yep. So every day when you woke up. On your mind, what would have been your target for the day? Let's say, okay, okay, not for the day, let's say for the foreseeable future. I mean, I guess one thing we need to know down here is that the first thing which would have been on everyone's mind spec, and now this is a, only our own exclusive opinion and no one else's before the snowflakes, you know, start making little bands on Twitter and hunting others who might be spotting us. So we are saying that exclusively, this is our opinion or my opinion. First thing, I guess, is we need to look at things from a real perspective, from reality. Now, recently, you would have seen a discussion which broke out on our Twitter between our Twitter team member and uh, we won't name him, but someone who believes that the Khalsa is only supposed to have a Vinashi Raj. So they're supposed to conquer the spiritual world and rule over it. And the member pointed out the contradiction, the contradiction being that if spirituality is universal, why would the Khalsa need to conquer it? Good question. <laughs> Good question. And I guess the fundamental thing is to save yourself, to live the way you want to, you would surely try annihilating the enemy to the degree you have some territory in which you can exist safely and peacefully. <clears throat> The central point where I was trying to get to yeah. was that is martyrdom, is Shahidi something you aim for or is it an acceptable cost to pay for for to achieve your target, which is at that time was to preserve and save Zikhi? If we accept it as being an acceptable cost, because uh, this is how Gurbani sees it. Gurbani sees martyrdom as being an acceptable cause if you're saying it's an aim, if you say that martyrdom is your aim, now this is something in Sikhi. Sikhi does not provide a criteria where you can say martyrdom is my aim. This is a very important point. We we uh, now we should clarify. Martyrdom is we, not the destination. It's an acceptable cost. It's an acceptable cost. It's, or, it's a last resort cost. I would say that you know that this is a possibility. It is a possibility. And you are prepared for it. I mean, if you make martyrdom your point, your goal in life, then you're smashing planes and buildings. Uh, well, yeah. It, it can be utilized to mislead you. You know, it can be utilized to mislead you. 
And on the other hand, if you accept it as an acceptable cost, that's a different thing because then you're ready to confront the aggressor, the tyrant and fight them, you know, on their own terms. And then, because the thing is how Guru Nanak designed Sikhi, how Guru Nanak designed the Khalsa, because Guru Nanak is the true father of the Khalsa, how Guru Nanak originated the Khalsa was that everything the Khalsa did would be in the public eye. The Khalsa would serve to inspire. And while we have the name of significant martyrs in our uh, Sikh community, in our Sikh society, in our Khalsa Smaj, there would have been smaller incidents of martyrdom where, you know, others, non-Sikhs would have been inspired to take up arms against the, you know, incumbent tyrants at the time, even if we don't remember the names. For them, martyrdom would have not been a goal, but a cost. Now, when Pai Tarusen goes and frees that gill, the one who was being gang-raped by the Mughal Rajput rulers at the time, he knew what the eventual outcome could be. Not would be, could be. But he accepted it. He accepted it as a necessary cost. When, however, they came, the Mughals came for him and he realized that, you know, all the surrounding villages would be raised to the ground. You know, thousands would be slain for one man. Then for him, martyrdom would have become a cost he had already accepted. But from the onset, martyrdom would not have been his aim. Otherwise, he could have just gone to the gates of the, you know, Darbar where those uh, guys were doing their atrocities and told them, here I am, I'm a Sikh, kill me. Did you uh, remember the, well, of course you would know him, uh, hmm. I can't remember the exact movie. Uh, the Greek hero Achilles. Yes. I, I think uh, the movie was Troy. I think. Uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad Pitt. Yeah, and that's he, Troy. He meets his mother, and uh, I think uh, his mother has got the ability to foresee the future. Yeah. Yeah, Thetis. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think uh, she says that if you stay here. You will live a long, happy life. You will get married. You will have children, and nobody would remember you in history. Mm -hmm. If you leave now, you, you you're going to die there, and uh, people will remember you, you for millenniums. And he chooses to go. He chooses to go, and that's a risk he was running. I guess the way they showed it in the movie, and the way Homer relates these incidents, they. I mean, one thing we can say is there's always the benefit of hindsight. So, you know, whenever someone relates a tale, like Bangu relates it in the Shiri group Bant Prakash, he's doing it in retrospection, you know. The event has already happened and they're trying to, you know, sort of glorify it. Mystify it. Mystify it, I guess. But we have to look at it from the perspective of what would have been going through that individual's mind at the time. Now, Namdev decides to challenge the Brahmins and the Brahmins get the mullahs on their side. And what they do is they bring a unconscious cow and throw it at his feet. And they get the Sultan to come along and he tells Namdev, Namdev, resurrect the cow. And Namdev says, how can I resurrect something which you guys are saying is dead? And he says, well, tell your, uh, you know, Ram to do it. And he says, my Ram is not Ram Chandra. My one is a different Ram. You know, Ram who's Ramya Hoya. You know, because the word means someone who's all pervasive. And the Sultan says, well, whatever you're saying, I want you to pray to your Ram and tell him to undo his laws or make it his hukam to raise this specific cow. And Namdev says no. So, you know, we have that uh, Bani from Namdev, which is misinterpreted to say that some, you know, big ass bird and some, you know, dhoti came along flying to save him. 
But the reality is that that Shabbat, the specific term Garod, which is translated to mean Garuda, Vishnu's word, actually means Gyan from reality. And Namdev's Gyan, now this is what happens is, you know, Namdev's mind, there's a thought and it allows him to, as far as the Brahmins are concerned, turn over their world, flip it upside down. When he says, well, wait a second, get a calf. They bring a calf along. And when the calf starts uh, lowing, the cow instantly wakes up. Because what Namdev had realized is that the Muslims would not kill the cow without doing halal. Because that's what the times were. They were so religiously superstitious. The Brahmins would not, would not kill a cow anyway. And this cow wasn't dead at all. You know, you could see it hadn't been dead for a long time. So they had knocked it unconscious and he decided to reawaken it. But it might sound simplistic to us now, but only Namdev knows what his emotions would have been at the time. Yep. I mean, easy the for example, us to do. Yep. Yeah, the example I gave of Achilles is a, a tool for me to uh, now deliver a point that Yep. I mean, even Namdev says that he'd accepted the ultimate cost if it came to that. And Achilles did the same. He accepted the ultimate cost. When Hector went out to confront him, Hector accepted the ultimate cost. Now, see, people might find this offensive, but this is why all these ancient Greek and Roman myths have lasted for so long. And they're used in such a fashion, you know, globally, because they're simple to understand. On the other hand, you have the story in the Mahabharata where, you know, Karna's chariot gets stuck. He jumps off the chariot. He realizes he's given his mystical uh, armor away. Arjun is standing in front of him and uh, Karma comes into play and Arjun kills him only to realize he's his own half-brother. Well, <laughs> yeah, of course, that's the <laughs> official story. And that kills any particular psychological connection we can form with those characters straight away. That, that if this was karma, if this wasn't you know supposed to happen, well then if they accepted the cost or did not accept the cost, that's besides the point because it does it doesn't matter. It's prearranged. On the other hand, what Thetis tells Achilles is that you know you go, you might die. Are you ready to accept it? You're going to be fighting at the front lines here. Get you. If you stay here, you will be forgotten. He takes the cost and goes along. Your your direct ancestors were there, the Shotaka Lukara, and they were Daka Lukara, yeah? Yes. What do, okay, in terms of Shahidi and what the, what the Sikhi understands from it, would it have made sense for, let's say, somebody who was like 50 or 60 years old at that age, for, mm. for him to say, okay, I will ride into the battle and I will die as a Shahid, or that person would choose to live on and serve Sikhi for, for as long as possible. If you can save your life in someone else's life, that was fine. That was the foremost aim. If you couldn't save your life but someone else's life, you could save that life, that was the second aim. But if you couldn't save your life or someone else's life, then it was better for you to ride into battle and die fighting so you could give others time to get away. No, no. Uh, uh, okay. The point is personal. They, hmm. they might say, okay, I'm 60 years old, I've lived a good life, I have my children, my family, blah, blah, blah. I want hmm. to die like a warrior, something like that. It's a personal hmm. choice. So you could say, okay, I'm going into this battle. It doesn't matter what the result is, I'm not coming back. I guess this is something where we have to sit down and see that if you have 
lived for so long, you have all that experience. Why would you throw it away? That answers my, my question. You will um, live to serve Sikhia for as long as possible. I mean, that's the thing we're discussing down here. And I guess what uh, Pangu relates and what other records relate is that during Maharaja Ranjit Singh's time at the onset of it, the few foreigners who came into Punjab, even during the missile era, they would actually try seeking out those ancient Singhs and Singhania who had actually faced off against the Mughals and the Afghans. For them, it was always a bit of a curious spectacle to see a warrior or a Sikh from that time who had actually, you know, ridden those waves of persecution. Hmm. And many survived. They did, yeah, they did. Now, what happens is that Matab Singh or Sukha Singh and Matab Singh fame when they come and cut off Masa's head and then we have that story about the, you know, Jat Chaudhary who dies a... Uh, defending Matab Singh's son. And what happened was that when they came to, you know, they came and said, give us the boy, Rai Singh. And, uh, you know, Chaudhary was standing on top of his village and the Chaudhary's, you know, brother came along and he told him, look, Matab Singh is a Sikh. We are not Sikhs. We worship, you know, Gugges and Peers, uh, you know, elements with Sikhi as opposed to. And the Chaudhary turns around and tells him that the Sikhs are trying to make a difference. And he's a friend. I'm not going to break my friendship. So what happened was that they were discussing this and uh, his uh, <clears throat> brother picked up a bow and he said that you're my brother. If you're dying, I'm coming with you as well. And their main goal was that three of them, the Chaudhary, his son and the brother, would attempt to get out of Amritsar and try making their way into Dwaba to return the boy to the you know Sikhs and the forests, Nuab, Kapoor Singh and the others. <clears throat> so when they asked Rai Singh what he wanted to do, because, you know, he was a toddler at the time and they didn't want, you know, him to realize the gravity of the situation. Rai Singh actually handed them a little arrow saying that, you know, they should fight. And here's the thing. They started fighting and making their way to Dwaba. It was only when the bowstring snapped that they were overpowered and finally killed. The main mission here, what I'm trying to relate to you, is they wanted to get to Dwaba, but they accepted the cost as long as the boy survived. Hmm. And ultimately, the boy was captured by the Mughals and his neck was slit, but he managed to survive. He managed to survive. What happened next is that Rai Singh and his uh, family members, because you know they were known to be Sukhmitab Singh's children, just before uh, the Mughals actually uh, fell, you know, during the era of the missiles, when the missiles were becoming powerful, they were finally killed off then. Only Ratan Singh survived. Hmm. And some of Gaur Singh's children. But, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is martyrdom is an acceptable cost, but not an aim. If martyrdom is an aim... I mean, like I said, Taru Singh could have, you know, just come out of his village and gone onto the main road and shouted out, look, I'm a Guru Singh, I have the five Kakars, he would have been killed straight away. I'll and, give you a more, more than the yep. example. Yep. I think it was 2011 when the Japanese uh, nuclear reactor accident happened. Yep. I think a lot of people must have heard about this. All yep. Japanese people they volunteered to go in and clean up the nuclear mess. Mm -hmm. They said that we have lived our life, we are nearing our, and the end of our lives anyhow. 
So it doesn't make sense to send in the young people, you know, to send them to an early death. We volunteer. We are already old. Is that shady? I would say that is shady. I would say that is a shady. So they have accepted the cost. Straight away, they've accepted the cost. There is no uh, issue about the cost because everyone can see what the cost is down there. Sometimes you have to do that. Guru Tegabad there is sitting at Anandapur. He knows Aurangzeb is going to be knocking at his door soon. He decides to go out and die for Sikhi and the freedom of conscience to fall Aurangzeb. Now, was that suicidal? Or was that, you know, something where he accepted the costs, rationalized it, and went here to die for it? Well, it's a very basic cost benefit analysis, and he knew what costs he you know, might have needed to pay or what, what the reality might manifest on NZK. All this really begins where martyrdom really comes from, you know, where your principles, you know, these convictions to die for them, they come from something called Zamir in Punjabi, but conscience in English. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, okay, go on, sorry. Yep, and the thing is, conscience is supposed to be the most fundamental thing in human life. It makes us humans, really. But while religion might say this, while religion identifies conscience as being, you know, foremost in life, the thing is, the thing really is, religion does not want to pay too much attention to conscience. Because if religion pays cons uh, attention to conscience, religion will be exposed, wouldn't it? Well, of course. <laughs> of course. If, if there's a doubt in your mind, you, you know, you'll be, they will suppress it. They're not going to address it. Yep. Now, here's the clever thing, which, uh, so if you look at it from the medieval perspective, because, you know, the medieval Judeo-Christian ethic still has a massive effect on us today, our society. The medieval philosopher Thomas Aquinas believed our conscience emerged from what he called syndresis, or the spark of divinity, or conscience. And what he literally meant was the human mind's ability to comprehend the world in moral terms, you know, morals and ethics. But here's the catch. As far as Aquinas was concerned, morality, or syndresis, as he called it, could only come from Christian values. Yeah, of course. Before him, we had Aristotle. Now, Aristotle called the entire concept phronesis, the goodness of practicality or logic. But as far as he was concerned, that logic could only be provided by the Greeks. Now, this is the dilemma we have down here. Should pro-life doctors be required to perform abortions? Should priests break the confessional seal and report sex offenders? See, you see where we are actually coming down to is the fact that even though conscience is identified as being primarily important in all religions, they restrain it by saying that only we know how to liberate your conscience. We decide what is conscientious or what is not. And the third most important figure who discussed conscience was Guru Nanak. And Guru Nanak obviously said there was a natural order of things as far as Aquinas was concerned that was created by the evangelical God. Baba Nanak never claimed God had a religion, but God, Vaheguru, you know, we're just using the terms interchangeably down here, had an impartial hukam 
and through the impartiality of Hukam, we can cultivate a clean conscience. And in Sikhi, the importance of conscience is very, very, very important. Now, you know that during these months, there's a particular Shabbat sung in the Gurdwaras. Do you know that? Well, there, there are a few of them, yeah. It's, it's peak season. It's peak season. And <laughs> I guess while people might find this offensive, the reality is it is actually peak season for the Grantees and Pies. You can see that, you know, if not all of them, then most of them will be aiming for the money. And here's something we have is that the Shabbat which is sung at the foremost, especially from the 1st of June to the 6th of June, is what they refer to as being Babarvani or Babarbani. And Vani would be more or less keeping in line with the context they provide, which is that, you know, this is about Babur's doings on the subcontinent. So it's alleged to be an autobiographical composition by Guru Nanak, said to have been written when he witnessed the atrocities unleashed by Babur's invasion of India, of the Indian subcontinent. So on one hand, we have nationalists arguing that Baba Nanak was opposed to Islam, that he provided evidence of what Islam could do. On the other hand, we have Sikh Babajis who use it to give Sikhi an undeserved fatalistic tint. That, you know, Baba ne dekhya Baba te julmanu. Baba ne kehta hai dunia nakli hai dunia te dokha bolo satnam. Shri Vaheguru. Yeah, and check $20 out of your pocket. $20 out of your pocket. Actually, I had an incident when I went to India, you know, <laughs> some time back before the pandemic. They didn't want 20. They wanted 100. <laughs> there are far too many stories about these things, but I think that they will take us away from the topic we have today. Yeah, I'm not going to name the Babaji. You know, I'm not going to name the Babaji. Otherwise, I'd have half of a you know, global group on my ass. Anyhow, he actually, you know, he was sitting down there with his eyes closed. And I saw everything, you know, because I was actually walking and I looked in the mirror, which was hanging on the wall, opened his eyes, looked at the note, and then, you know, smacked his sevadar to come to me. And closed his eyes. So when I turned around, there he was, you know, the picture of contentment. And Sevadar came and said, you know, the Koji, Sardaina, Saldani, Karche, both Hundia, blah, 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 blah. Took out his phone and showed me a picture of a hundred dollar bill that this is what we need, not the five. <laughs> okay. No, no. Because, sorry. Uh, okay. Similar incident happened to us. Uh, uh, I was with my, my extended family and we were going to Hempon Savia. Yep. The, often, of course, we were all conversing in English, and uh, the moment they saw foreigners, they were like, Babaji, Babaji's here. Would you like to go do darshan of Babaji? Yep. And I said, well, we're going to meet Guru Gobind Singh. Is, is your Baba bigger than him? And he was like, no, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> so his sales pitch ended there. Yep. And <laughs> getting back to the Babar funny thing, you know what's funny? A lot of things, tell me. On Anga 360 of Guru Granth Sahib, this Bani is supposed to be. And if you look at it on the internet, there are 10 lines to what is said to be Babar Vani, and in none of the lines you have Babar written in there. Now, where they're teleporting Babar from into this Gurbani is, you know, beyond me. Sport karna honda na chuti gal nu ta padani kithyo kithyo ta ke murde khod ke le on the agle. And the thing is, if we read this Shabbat now, 
Gurbani has a certain parameter which allows us to translate it and understand what the Guru is saying. Guru Maharaj they weren't even that raw that they never left a translative aid within Gurbani itself. They knew what could happen, you know. They they were witness to a thousand religions rising and falling to Brahmanism and Islam and all other Pujari factions, because you know, those factions would either assault the language or you know mistranslate everything. So they decided to provide right translations as well within Gurbani, a parameter we can use, Eliza system we can use to get to the bottom of what the guru actually wants us to understand and not what you know the sevadar jatada types want us to understand now you know baba nanak's bani makes it explicitly clear that if you're a sevadar do seva in a dignified way and you can probably get to jathedari but sevadari and jathedari they're not too far away from ghetto bari ghetto bar bhi agle ho <laughs> and today, I guess, in a time when the Sikhs are slowly waking up, the gate has never been closer for these individuals. <laughs> oh, a gate unlocked. Well, thanks, mate. <laughs> now, the Shabbat, if you look at it, Ang 360 of Gurbani. Kurusan Kasmana Kia Hindustan Diraya. Now, I'll read out the Shabbat and we will go from there. Ape Dosna Dei Karta Jammu Kar Mughal Chadaya. Ete marpai kurlane take dardana aya Karta tu sabnaka soi Je sakta sakteko mareta man rosna hoi Rahau Sakta se mare pe vage Kasme sa persai Ratan vigare vagoi Kutti mai sarnakai Ape jor vichore, ape vek teri vadiai, Joko nau tare, vada sad kare, man pane, Kasme nadari kare, ave jate, chuge dane, Marmar jive takech pai, nanak nam vakane. Now, first thing first, there is no reference to Babar in here, but the first lines. Khurasan Kasmekia Hindustan Dreya. What this actually means is that, you know, Khurasan was Persia. That was the Indic name for Persia. So what Baba Nanak is saying is that Persia and Hindustan, all of creation have been created, has been created by the creator. Now the Mughals, one thing we need to remember is that the Mongols, you know, we discussed this in a past episode when, you know, the Genghis Khan's horde split up. The Timurids or Timur the Lame, those descended from, you know, Timur the Lame, they were the Mughals who finally came into India. And the fact with the Timurids was that they lived next to the river Chagatai in Turkey. And Turkey and some parts of Afghanistan and other Middle Eastern territories, which were welded together by the Safavids, this was known as Persia. And Persia had many names, you know, many name changes going on. We had, you know, Byzantine and et cetera, et cetera. So, as far as the individuals were concerned, this during Baba Nanak's time, the area was called Khurasan. And what Baba Nanak is saying is that Khurasan, Hindustan, like the rest of creation, they have been created by Vaheguru or God or creator, whatever you want to say. Now, the next line here starts with Ape. Now, Ape means you, but what's actually happened is the you has been translated to refer to God. And this is a mistranslation because that doesn't make sense. So what it's saying is that, you know, 
God has hukam. Hukam is arbitrary. Hukam controls every facet of her life. God is mechanistic. God intended Babur to come along and murder the denizens of India. God struck fear in the denizens of India, in the you know residents of the subcontinent. God made them cowards. God sent Babur to kill them, and God enjoyed the you know blood sport. Now. You can see where the problems with this arise, because first thing first is it's never identified what, you know, sin the residents of the subcontinent committed to get so many bloody invasions in the first place. Geography and is the same. <laughs> when we look at it from impartial view, of course, we can say geography. But when we look at it from the Babaji classic point of view, the thing is that, you know, God is killing people without a reason. And all this is deliberately impurned on God. You know, all this is deliberately put on God. So let's blame all of this on God. And yeah. this works into another way because further on, it's on these angs of Gurbani, Baba Nanak tells us that no Taram Pujari was able to stop Babur, no Mullah, no Kaji, no one had any guts to stop him. And no one was even able to stop him in the first place. The guy was too smart. That's exactly what Baba Nanak says. Then Vader, the aggressor, was too smart. So what Guru Nanak down here is saying that, you know, <clears throat> the fact is that he's talking to the reader. He's talking to us. And what he's saying is, if we look at Mughal, Mughal needs to be translated as tyrant. So what Baba Nanak is saying is that, the maker has fashioned both Khurasan and Hindustan. Hindustan fears Khurasan. The cowards, us, the cowards have no one to blame but their own insipid selves for their fear. This is why the Mughal tyrant treads them underfoot. Mm. You see where Baba Nanak is putting the blame? He's putting it on us. He's saying that, fine, then there is a certain section of the population who will always be victims, but those others able of body and mind, why are they struck by fear? And then he tells us why they're struck by fear. Now this one is again translated to say that look at the Holocaust, the massacres which happened, God didn't you feel any pain, but there is no God in here. What Baba Nanak is saying is that you know, such is the conflict that their conscience is killed. Whose conscience? The cowards. That's why they don't feel pain at what is happening around them. Their conscience is dead. They can't stand up for anyone. Then, here's the thing. What distinguishes a coward and a brave person? The brave individual in Baba Nanak's eyes is one who realizes that one God has created Khurasan, one God has created Hindustan, one God has made me, one God has made my aggressor. When that person realizes that, they become very powerful. You know, that self-confidence becomes really powerful. Now, if you look at the story of Namdev, let's just look at the, let's even look at Guru Gobind Singh. The Mughals always outnumbered and outranked the Guru. More technology, more manpower, but... The Guru was aware of Kartatu Sabanaka Soi that, you know, if God has made me, God has made them as well. So this empowered the Guru and made him Sakta, which means powerful. So if you look at it again, 
Guru Gobind Singh Ji is sakta, he's powerful, he's firm, he's unbending because he's empowered by the knowledge that he has been made by God and so has the aggressor. And when a powerful aggressor attacks Guru Gobind Singh Ji, who is, you know, powerful in his own right due to his confidence, in Guru Gobind Singh Ji's mind, there is no wrath, there is no concern, there is no caution. Why? Because he knows that he's equally powerful. It isn't necessarily, necessarily about how many weapons, territory or manpower you have. It is also about your spirit, your morale and your confidence. If we look at when Napole if you look at Napoleon, you know what happened during the Battle of Waterloo. Now, this is what General Grant later noted during the Civil War. The fact was that when Wellington took that stand and his troops started fighting back, Napoleon's men broke and ran for it. And Wellington was outnumbered on all fronts. So you see what I mean? When you have the spirit, the confidence, nothing can stop you. So that's what Guru Nanak is saying, distinguishes the brave individual. And he's saying that this is how you become brave. Then, up ahead. Sakte se marepe vage, kasme sa parsai. Now, the cowards, their mind is actually like the lion. So sakta means powerful and se means lion. So sakta se marepe vage, kasme sa parsai. The cowards who die are consigned to death. They have only themselves to blame for being like weak herdsmen. Now, at the end of the day, if you're a herdsman, and a lion comes and takes your flock away from you. Who do you have to blame at the end of the day? Yourself. Not Yourself, the lion. Yeah. The lion is Yourself. doing what the lion is supposed to do. The lion is doing, you know, what these babas say is the lion's God-given duty. And the peda are doing what is their duty. You know what nature and evolution have made them. They're just playing out the game of nature. But you can actually interfere and stop your herd from being slaughtered. You don't. You only have yourself to blame. Then, up I, ahead. Yes? I thought the paydown were busy voting for Jacinda. <laughs> well, from social media, you get the impression. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, now, up ahead. Up ahead again, we have Baba Nanak, you know, focusing on cowards. Ratan Vagare Vagoi Kuti Mai Sarnakai. And what this means is... The dual-like conscience, so the Zamir is silenced by obsession with illusory elements. Once silenced, then one becomes a dead dog. Now, what dead dog actually means is that, you know, when a dog becomes weak, unable to perform its duties, you know, they say, Kuta Maria Brabaria, that's what Baba Nanak is saying here. So you become like a dead dog, unable to express concern at whatever passes before one's eyes. So a dog who's about to die can't bark, can't see properly, can't run properly, can't even bite properly, can't even breathe properly. What use is such a dog? And if your conscience dies, that's your state from the inside. You're able to do nothing. You're not even able to defend your own home, home and hearth, let alone your territory. Then up ahead. Now, this is another one which is cleverly misinterpreted by the Babaji crew. This is Ape Jor Vichor Ape Vek Terivadiyai. This isn't addressed to Wahiguru. What this is addressed to is the human mind. The mind attaches, the mind separates. This is the greatness of the mind. 
And then the upper head, yet if one lays claim to virtue but indulges in vice, then such a mind is nothing but an insect fighting for survival in the creator's gaze. So here it is. If you you have a mind, you have a functioning mind, Baba Nanak is saying that, look, the coward and the valorous individual, they both have minds. One uses his mind for, you know, breaking himself. The coward uses his mind to break himself from reality. The valorous person uses his mind to attach himself to reality. A coward can never accept death. But, you know, the person who's, you know, as we were discussing, who's a Jinda Shaheed, who's a Gurmukh, who's a Gursik, that person has already accepted death. And if death is supposed to come at aggressor's hand, it is a cost of standing up for your beliefs, then the mind is fully attached with reality and accepts that. And this is the greatness of what the mind can do. But if you use your mind for, you know, less purposes, for base purposes, then in the eyes of the creator, in the eyes of your maker, you're nothing more than an insect fighting for survival in your dung heap. And amazingly enough, the Shabbat down here is mistranslated because here's something what Baba Nanak is saying, that if you claim virtue and are a hypocrite, then look at the reality here. Look at the reality here. How many Sikhs do we have today? You know, the Sikh leadership, the Sikh religiosity, Sikhs worldwide, they claim virtue, but they're unable to do anything. Provided the yardstick. Well, they're not going to follow that. that that's guaranteed. And that's why the Shabbat is mistranslated. Now, the end, this is the very important part down here. Marmar jive ta kech pai nanak naam vakhane. And what this really means is the first time you die, you die when you allow the Shabbat to appropriate your internal being. That is the first death. You have died from all other concerns. You want to live your life as the Shabbat says. Second death happens when the Shabbat kills your ego. So you know your habris from the inside, your base individuation, when the Shabbat destroys that, helps you rein it in. That's when your second death happens. Two deaths happen in the CR. I guess before your final death, two other deaths happen in a Sikh's life, as far as Gurbani is concerned. That is why Guru Nanak says, Marmar, two times he's actually mentioned it. Babas today have, you know, lots of Sakis, but no, that's not right. And this death is also described by Pakt Kabir, Kabir Satguru Surme, Bay Banjo Ikke. Lagathi Pai Kiri Pire Pur Para Karje Sheke. Kabir, the unparalleled warrior truth, has shot me with his mighty arrows. They found their mark within my mind, and now my heart is pursed with the Gyan. So that is what happens. That is your second death. That's what your state, your mental state becomes like. And then of course there is Baba Nanak's conclusion. That, you know, the Nam experiential wisdom, you know, this is what it leads to. So what we have cleared up now is that the Kurasan Kasmekiya Shabbat is not a Shabbat celebrating tragedy. It is a call to arms. It's a call to arms. The fact is, we might say that the Shabbat is just a few words, but at the end of the day, Navjit, the thing is, if you look at it, if you reflect on it, there is a reality down here. If you're attached to your home, you're attached to your family, you're attached to your hearth, you're you know attached to your leisurely pleasures, 
are you seriously going to tell me that you're going to get up and you know look the aggressor in the eye and tell him enough is enough no i'll just check my valuables and i'll run and that is what baba nanak says in asadivar as well now the turks have come with their dark colors the brahmins have started wearing those colors on the outside they're getting circumcised they're wearing the islamic symbols they're attending the islamic prayers they're eating goats outside and inside their houses they're eating something else altogether they're doing something else they're hiding themselves they've hidden themselves there is no way they can you know their conscience can survive at the end of the day their faith might survive in one way or the other but their zamir is already dead and once your zamir starts dying it's next to impossible to make it alive again no well no not next to impossible it's impossible once you there there's no coming back there's like only very rare very rarely have people with dead zamirs come back and made a difference in life or people do realize, realize their mistakes but if you let's say the opportunity arrives and you don't take it that's pure cowardice that's pure cowardice and once the zamir is dead thodi latta kamban lag jandi hai now you know let me <clears throat> relate a little story down here of my friend he's a soldier in special forces we went out to a pizza club once night and there was a fight he did nothing down there even though they accidentally hit him with a chair and i asked him why not and he said look it wasn't my fight i didn't want to you know increase it only a little scratch the same man has actually won countless medals for running out in the line of the fire to save his troops on the field of battle and why i'm saying this is because some of the listeners down here punjabi di taadati hundi jada sikhadi the next thing you know i don't want is that you know someone gets up and goes and beats the living daily out of the school bully and breaks his fucking kidneys claiming that there's a meat has woken up <laughs> they will blame then, it on you <laughs> and and then they become the next bully now what happened was that in canada i used to know a guy you know and uh, what happened was when he was at school this is exactly what happened now regarding the bully incident if the bully comes for you sure knock him out knock his teeth out but on the other hand this is what happened in canada one of the guys who actually listens to us he's got a younger brother and um <laughs> he was actually listening to some of our talks and what happened was that you know he actually went to school so there's another punjabi kid down there and uh, they had a argument over baba banda singh Our boy took out his chitter and bashed the living shit out of the kid in front of the whole school down there. Would you and, count that as that's an achievement? I mean, if the kid he bashed was a bit of a, you know, not case I'd count that as achievement, but that's <laughs> something I'm going to show, say to his parents face or his school's face. But the thing <laughs> is that, you know, when you're Zamira vacants when you're ready to stand up to injustice and tyranny it doesn't mean you take unnecessary risks how many times oh, did guru oh, oh. har gobind or guru gobind singh run out in the line of fire in front of a cannon and said bring it fire on me mete chalao that would have been counterproductive towards the aim even banda singh bahadur and gurdas nangal zameer jaggi hoya banda doesn't want to surrender the sikhs with them want to surrender they have a void about it binod singh tells him look you need to leave the heaven argument nonetheless banda entrusts 
the leadership of the Panth to Binod Singh and tells him, you go and escape. The succession is done. It's off my mind. I can focus on what I want to do down here. You know, he, when your Zamir awakens, your brain should awaken as well. You should be making smart decisions for the continuity of your cause. Okay. Uh, more questions coming your way. Yep. And this question is going to be a lot well, a lot controversial, and I think it's very important, especially for our young listeners in the yes. West. Yep. Why did Guru Gobind Singh not make a last stand at Anandapur Sahib and become a Shaheed? That's a, that's a genuine question. That's a really good question. Last stands in Sikhi have been made where there has been no other option or to allow others to escape. If he had Guru Gobind Singh down here, now the fingers, human guruship ended with Guru Gobind Singh, right? Yeah. Even that day inside the fortress at Chamkor, it's believed there were eyewitnesses from other villages around watching as the Guru coronated Sangat Singh and officiated him as his successor, but Sangat Singh was a stand-in for the Khalsa. So the Khalsa was entrusted with the Guru's mission. If he had to make a last stand, he made sure his mission was entrusted to the Khalsa Panth. You know, there was a continuity of succession down here. But making a stand at Anandapur, you know, fortifying Anandapur and saying, I'm going to die here, I'm going to die here, there was no point in doing that. Okay. And so this, goes through... back, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that, you know, back in our history, there was always a continuity of the mission because a leadership was chosen. Today, we have nothing like that. Yeah, and that completes the circle. I, I was going to you know, comment about it. Yeah. That Shahidi is not the aim. It's an acceptable cost. Guru Sahib had an aim. He had a vision that he wanted to work towards, yeah? Ratan Singh Pangu describes the story, uh, the you know formula of Taipat. Have you heard about it? I've heard about it, but not enough to properly understand it. Okay, so two and a half strikes. One strike is if you go and kill the foe and come back. That's the first strike. Second strike is if you go and kill the foe and come back while you're injured yourself. I'm just going off my memory. Half a strike is if you go and die fighting. Did you, do you realize that then even then Shidi would not have been the cardinal aim? That's not to say we shouldn't honor our Shahids, but we should also understand that for them Shidi was an acceptable cost and not a mission. Acceptable cost, yeah. Now the Shidi missile which was made under Baba Deep Singh, the thing with that missile was they accepted Shidi as an acceptable cost. That's why they were called Shids and not because they ran into the front line, you know, cannon fire. We are calling a lot of people Jindar Sheeds today, but the fact is Jindar Sheeds are those who have died two times. Marmar, that's what Baba Nanak says, you know. Only they can be called Jindar Sheeds. In their personal life, as well as their, you know, impersonal life. Okay. That's the thing. Yep. <clears throat> so since... The topic for today is Shahidi. We have to talk about, let's say, non-Sikh Shahids from probably 5,000 years ago to, to the recent times. 
Maybe to the yep. modern time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, we discussed she, the Baba Achilles G. And we have also discussed the Japanese shades. Yep. It's time to discuss the all too famous movie 300. Yep, Leonidas. Leonidas the Spartan. Yep, the 300 Spartans. I think, historically speaking, if I can remember from the top of my head, they actually had 2,000 uh, Tebans with them as well that day. But those others never made it into history. Only he did because he was right at the forefront. No, the Spartans were 300. There were other people as well. Yeah, yeah. But these, the entire Spartans were right at the front. They were the first ones to fall. Well, they, they had a culture like that. Uh, they, they say, okay, the, the only honorable death is dying on the battlefield. But, you know, well, I, I haven't seen the movie. I'll admit that I never saw the movie. But when I read the comic books, I knew that the comic books were, you know, overrised, um, you know, he overrode a lot of a lot of historical factors. But, you know, one thing I liked about it was in the graphic novel, which actually precipitated the film. They make it clear what they actually do is they borrow from real history. Leonidas was informed that, you know, that uh, Thermopylae, the gates had been breached anyway because a traitor had shown the Persians a roundabout route. And the issue was no. that the original plan had been made by the Athenian uh, admiral Themistocles, and Themistocles destroyed the Persian navy countless times, but the fact was Themistocles told Leonidas that we need you to hold them back and give us enough time to finish our ships and get everyone away from the coast, you know, have this massive evacuation. And Leonidas, when he heard that a roundabout route had been taken, he actually turned around and he discussed the matter with the Thebans. And he told them that there's one strategy we can use. We can divide the Persians' forces. And they asked him how. And he said, if you guys start marching towards Thermopylae, they're going to be very uh, cautious as to what the hell is happening. That are we going to you know, turn around and attack them in their rear? They will send a massive deportment to come finish us off the main commanders, the king himself would be here watching our next move. Only a few will be marching down to the coast and these others would expect to catch up with them soon enough to buy time. We need to make a last stand here. And the Thebans told him, the commander told him, we will die down here. And he said, well, that's the thing. That's the cost we need to take. We need to buy enough time for the others. <clears throat> there is the a very famous scene from the movie. Uh, Delios, the guy who lost an eye, and he, Leonidas sends him back that the message is simple. Go tell the Spartans pass it by that here by Spartan law we lie. Yep. No, no retreat, no surrender, we will fight here and die. But that's the romanticized version. The simple yep. one would have been, okay, go, go inform the Greek, all the coalition, we are here, we're going to die, and what happened here? It's like a message of, let's say, a battle report. I mean, the thing is, if you consider it, Leonidas, Udham Singh, and those countless others in the past 20, 30 years who took out similar missions, when we have, uh, you know, Guru Gobind Singh, we have Baba Deep Singh, we have Baba Banda Singh Bahadur, we have so many. Do you really think that in their uh, hearts of hearts, they wouldn't have known what the ultimate outcome would be? Well, they would have known it on the first day. They would have known it on the first day. Bandar Singh and Gurdas Nangal told the Sikhs that, look, you guys want to surrender. Me and a hundred others want to open the gates and fight to the death while you guys try making it out alive. 
And they said, no, we need to negotiate with the Mughals. And he said, fine, then they're Muslims. They can deny that, you know, we are, they can deny our status as humans. And then what happens? They will, you know, negate whatever treaty we have. And that's exactly what happened. He knew he was going to die. And I guess what the fundamental importance of a martyr is how they actually inspire us to accept death ourselves, accept it as a cost, and then march forward. You know, there have been incidences in history where generals have taken stock of the situation. They've realized there is no other option other than sending their men right into the front line to be able to save countless others. Well, that, that's a valid military strategy. And that's exactly what Guru Gobind Singh Ji meant when he said, you know, why are you crying for those other four? Jab jivat kahi hajar. That for that's multiple right. thousands, I sacrificed my four. What's the problem? What's the problem? And I guess at the end of the day, we know that, you know, the Gurus were Jinda Shaheed. They lived like that. But why is it today that the Sikh world is so scared to call Guru Gobind Singh Ji a Shaheed? Didn't he get a dagger in his gut? You finally arrived at the ultimate point of this discussion. Ultimate point at this discussion. He got a dagger in the gut. That finished, let's say it, that killed him. That ultimately put an end to his life. Why can't we call him a Shaheed then? Well, yeah. It does baffles me. Yeah. It does. So why guess, why yeah. isn't Guru Gobind Singh considered a Shaheed? The fact is that some of these Nirmalas wrote a very uh, ludicrous tale. I have that book at home. I can't really remember. It was, you know, published in the late 1800s. And what it says said was that, you know, Krishna is lying there on the field of Mahabharata and, uh, you know, on Kurukshetra. And the hunter shoots him in the foot. And Krishna forgives the hunter and tells him that, you know, when I was around Chandra, I shot you with bad intent. You were bully and now you've done this. And what the author, the Nirmala author has written is just like Bhagavan. Krishna used this excuse to depart the, you know, worldly plane. Guru Gobind Singh Ji utilized the excuse of being stabbed by a dagger. So same, same story, new characters. New characters. Ajit Singh Bhaga discovered sources, you know, authentic sources which, sources which point out that Guru Harai was poisoned. What we have today, $100. After the pandemic, they might be going for a few thousand. Well, as you can see, it's peak season. There are a lot of people, and uh, you know, you can see videos online. You know, just getting agitated. Maybe, maybe it's the heat. Maybe it's the pandemic, or maybe they have been cut off from the society for a long time, and they don't know what to do. Or maybe they have eaten one too many pakoras. They are pakora dicks. I know one. <laughs> yeah, lots of people know one. Anyway, if you awaken your zamir, you know, if you awaken your zamir, then, you know, there is that very uh, famous kavita. That also happens. 
It's not an easy life. The day you awaken your zamerial life will be Jindashidi. Baba Dayal Singh Narankari. You know, when he died, he died during Maharaja Ranjit Singh's time. They used to be called Narankaris because their Rayat Mariyada was based on the precept of Guru Nanak that Akal Purakh was Narankar. They didn't believe in this Chandi, Durga, Adi Shakti stuff. That's why they called themselves Narankari to differentiate themselves. Day he died, state orders from Lahore Darbar was that his body will not be cremated within any city, any town, any village. His children had to go outside and do it by a well. His entire life was extinguished from Sikh records. Only now we are discovering the truth. Baba Banda Singh Badr stood up to individuals who he felt were taking Sikhi and the Sikhs in the wrong direction. And what we have today, you know, the exact term used to describe Baba Banda Singh Badr. I'm not going to say it here, but something we wouldn't even use for a womanizer. Claims are made that he became a guru himself and started his own panth. That's why he had to die. Well, By many things, yep. Character assassination is the, let's say, first step, I would say. By Mani Singhji refused to stop creating Sanchis and Gutkes, little manuscripts. He knew that the more Gurbani went out there, the more Gyan people got, Sikhi would be safe. And look how his character has been assassinated. So, you know, when they made the Guru Granth Sahib a idol of worship, like we discussed last time, how could they justify it, you know? So they decided by Mani Singh, because by Mani Singh refused to stop making these senchis and gutkas. When this lie was caught out, then it became known he rearranged Gurbani, and from there we have a thousand and one lies targeting by Mani Singh's character. And here's the coincidental thing, I guess. Here's the funny thing. You know the Kartar Puri beard, the Japji Sab in the Kartar Puri beard? By Gurdasji writes that they actually copied it from a Gutka side prepared by Guru Ramdas. Hmm. You see, ki Guru Maharaj de Bele, Kadibi Maharaj de Angani Vakre Kite Gaisi, Kadibi Gutke Sab Nais. Again, there's Pai Gurdas writing in the Kirtar Puri beard that you know this is what happened. And then they will make up some Saki, some Kapkahani, you know, ki Maharaj no Darshan Hoisi, blah, 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 or you know, this is fake, etc., etc. <laughs> Guru Nanak as far as I know his works were written in Shamukhi not Gurumukhi who knows what's happening down here and then if you look at it closer to our times Professor Gur Gurmukh Singh stood up to the Pujari at Akal Takht 100 years later in 1999 the calm got up and finally said that what happened to him was a tragedy. He died in a hovel. He was beaten up, mercilessly assaulted, assassination attempts made on his life. And he was, you know, excommunicated from the Kaltak, which was a mistake. For 100 years, everyone forgot about Professor Gurmukh Singh. The only substantial book published on him was in 1981. Up till today, Professor Gurmukh Singh only has one page to his name in Sikh history books. Gyani Dith Singh, he awakened his Zameer. And you know, during his last few days, he used to be uh, living on the streets of Hashiarpur. Dawai Daru Dabi Karcha 
Look at that. That that's what happens if you awaken your zamir. And you know, one day Gyani Dat Singh was asked by someone that you know Gyani Ji ki malia, that you know all these lakhs, all these writings, all these. Before we cut off down there because of the you know time issue down here, but that's all good. We will make this a special episode. When we come down to Gyani Dat Singh, you know what I was saying before we cut off was that you know someone asked Gyani Dat Singh Ji that all you have to your name are all these little manuscripts you wrote. And Ganiji said, that's enough for me. Right? And the condition which the Pandra Pagts died in, which the Gurus died in, who would have thought that they would have died in such abysmal conditions? Jezamir Jagauge, if you awaken your conscience, then it's only natural the world will turn against you. Well, they have to. They have to, that's the thing. And I mean, there are many people today saying that she dade parvar no koi pochadani, una de parvara no to kisana pochini, that she dade parvara no kyo pochugi. No, I, I think it, it's very, very selfish to say she dade parvara and everything. That's the thing. I mean, the fact, first thing is, why don't you do something, you know? And we have seen oh. this in our life, haven't we, Navjit? People come along, oh, donations for she dade parvara, and next thing you know, the money is used to fund real estate deals. Well, man, what can I say? Okay, hold on. Yep. Hold on. If there is Shida Neparwar, mm. are you not asking for a reward for the service, maybe of your father or of your grandfather, let's say? Would, you, would that make you a loyal soldier or would that make you a mercenary who expects to be paid? Yeah, that's the thing. That's one thing. But then the other thing is that we are running around dunya di seva karalo par sade sikh apanya di nahi seva karuge. No, 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 no. I must go to Mars and do langar for the aliens, but I'm not going to help my, my next door neighbor who needs some help. Now, the thing is, reality is that in the field of battle, many people got injured, many people got wounded, and Pike and Aya went out there, helped the things back. And if the few Mughals were on the sea clients, he would actually send them back as well. And the way it's been misinterpreted down here is that our snowflakes, here's the thing, if our snowflakes were in Pai, shoes, you know what they would do? They would go to the Mughal camp and say, oh, Commander G, Commander G, this is what Guru Gobind Singh Ji is planning for tomorrow. I gave you the plans to stop the bloodshed. <laughs> What? This is exactly what they would do. This is exactly what they would do. You ask them what Sikhi is. Ah, Sikhi is selfless service. You know, today I went out on the streets of Brampton and I wiped the cobbles clean and I expected no reward, but I'm still barking about it on social media to show off. But hey, that's another story altogether. That is my Sikhi for today. And the Brampton City Council is wondering which idiot is, you know, taking away their workers' hours by cleaning the streets before them. <laughs> okay, okay. So I, I think uh, we, we have discussed the main points here. Have, have you missed anything? I, I haven't missed anything. I mean, I don't believe I've missed anything. But I mean, is you know to reiterate, awakening your zamir isn't a you know matter of saying one, two, three. You will be attacked on each and every turn of your life, of your mission. Okay, so let me ask you some 
troll-ish questions. Here it comes. Yep. There's a Sikh army fighting a Muslim army in the 1700s. Yep. The Muslim is fighting in the name of Allah. The Sikh, the Sikh soldiers are fighting to save Sikhi. Yep. Both sides be, uh, believe in Shahidi. Who's the Shahidi? Yep. See, this is where the faith in Sikhi comes along, doesn't it? This is where the faith in Sikhi comes along, that we are fighting for what is right, our guys are Shaheed. It isn't a case of saying that Baba Nanak went to Mecca and break bread with the Muslims, so why can't I fast with them today? And, you and probably, probably this, marry one. This, this happens. There are snowflakes. I mean, marriage, all that aside, you know, the fact is that our idiots have no sense of self-dignity. The first thing they need to do to prove their Sikhs is to concede on their Sikhi. See, one of these clowns one day confronted me. He said, see, if they're bolded in the podcast, you know, and he's like, you say this on the podcast, and this clown lives in New Jersey as well. Now, <clears throat> I was watching a cartoon on YouTube, Adult Swim, and the Care Bears, or, you know, whatever those teddy bears were back in the day. Anyway, they <laughs> decide to kill some of their own members, and God comes along and says, now you will be transported to New Jersey. And they're like, oh, no. So I think New Jersey must be a terrible place. I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't been there, even though we have listeners down there. So apologies to them. But the thing is, this dude from New Jersey, he told me that, you know, all Amritari people are perverts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, that's that's all right. And he said that gives Zaki a bad name. And I said, definitely. And then I asked him, how do you know they're Sikhs? And he said, we can judge them by their appearance. And I said, that's right. You can judge them by their appearance. You can criticize them openly. And you, how are we going to judge you're a Sikh with your, you know, Karelevargi tent on your head and bloody pink glasses and, you know, a suit, a coat, a fur coat as well? I mean, dude, you look like a pimp for goodness sake. And he said, well, I have my virtues and ethics. And I was like, yeah, sure. So if you end up doing something wrong, what's going to happen? They're going to start criticizing all pimps. He never replied back after that. Okay. Another stupid question. Stupid, but makes a point. Yep. Do you always need inspiration to be a Shaheed? Tell me something. What would what precedent did Guru Arjan Dev or Guru Arjan follow to become a Shaheed? He heard the words of Baba Nanak, he heard the Bani of Baba Nanak, he decided to give Shaheed the end lady on a practical example. You never need an example. But if you have examples today, well, yeah, that's fine. Do I need to be on that path out of my own conviction or inspiration? You need to be on that path out of your own conviction. What's inspiration going to do if it doesn't, you know, give you the conviction? Conviction. Okay, then I'll give you a, an example. Yep. <clears throat> In Palestine, they actually on the TV. They actually had uh, propaganda for the kids. Yep. There was the jihadi Mickey Mouse. Jesus Christ. I'm not. It's not a joke. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I know I've seen that video. I watched those cartoons before YouTube banned them. There was one where he's asking, um, 
where's uh, Suleiman? Where's Suleiman? And Mickey Mouse comes along and tells him Suleiman's gone to Allah because he blew up a tank full of Israelis or something. And I was like, shit, where the hell have I ended up on YouTube? <laughs> I swear to you, because I was a teenager back then, bro, like, I deleted my history. I even changed my laptop. Every time someone knocked on the door, I was scared. I wouldn't even sleep in the middle of the night thinking that SEAL Team 6 is going to break through the bloody roof and get me or something for watching that. But, but, but you have to hand it to, to the producers and the directors. Man, a genius idea. Jihadi Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that, is, that is something. Yeah, so they are trying to, let, let's say, give inspiration to the kids to follow the other quote-unquote martyrs. And they are doing it through, let's say, cartoon and cartoon characters. Okay, one, one thing we need to sort of think down here is that, okay, so they're trying to give inspiration. Do the kids have a say in the matter? Man, not just, not, not just well, I think... Uh, we need to talk about this for a few minutes at least. If there is a kid, their brain is not developed. They don't understand anything. No. Yeah? Yeah, uh, adolescent, I guess. Yeah, a toddler. They wouldn't understand that. Not, not just a toddler. I think uh, they say that your frontal lobe isn't developed fully until you're like 25 or something. Yeah. But let, let's just say your brain isn't all fully until you're 25 or something. Okay. If if there is, let's, let's say, a 15-year-old kid somewhere in the world, could be anybody, it could be, could be in Chechnya, it could be in Syria, it could be in Nigeria, I don't know. where. Yeah. That kid can be very easily manipulated into becoming a suicide bomber. The thing is, that's why they say that when kids, like, let's take the Saab Jadis, for example, they watch their father doing something. If it's the parents who are actually, you know, becoming the kids' role models, that's a different story. But if you're being fed such massive propaganda, then that's altogether another matter. I mean, if you look at it, the Saab Jadis did not, the younger ones did not kill anyone. They just went down there and they stood up for their faith and they died for that. You know, there was, I don't know, like what they might say, uh, that I'm Yudhi Mickey Mouse or something which inspired them. There was nothing like that. But on the other hand, if you look at Nazi Germany and if you look at all these places where kids are actually being brainwashed, you know, inculcated in these programs, that's where we will have a problem. That's not a Shibdi, that's terrorism. Yep, Hitler Youth and kids as, as young as 13 and 14 are receiving the Iron Cross. Mm, and I mean, Jihadi Mickey Mouse, I mean, I'm never, ever associating my kids with Mickey Mouse. Ever again. Ever again. Can, can you imagine a jihadi Donald Duck? Bro, I think they might have their own knockoff Disney, like jihadi Disney industry or something. <laughs> I mean, imagine imagine there's a scene from The Lion King, Mufasa and Simba on that rock, and Simba's like, Daddy, what's that dark place over there? And Mufasa turns around and tells him, you know, we don't go there. Yet. 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 Anyhow, getting back to what we are talking about, the fact is that today, I mean, as you know, painful as this is going to sound, as insulting as this is going to sound, do you really think these snowflake, woke, baked kids we have in Sikhi today 
any of them is going to be able to stand up for themselves in the future. If you take away their PlayStation for a day, they will probably, you know, initiate a jihad against you. Take away their PlayStation for a day, Aglashid. Hon nukher de te. Udda koi jala hove da kine. Udda to tobi lata te far kine. Xbox or Nintendo, whatever. I'm not taking any sides. You, you need to have that, you know, spirit in you from the start, you know, that I will be a shaheed. You know, if the guys are coward from the start, you know, they apne maade pallu che badeya hove ta ki zameer jiga ke agla karlu. It's actually quite funny because today is the 6th of June, yeah? Yep. And of course, you, we have relatives all over the world and everything. And they are just posting, posting and posting. And uh, you know, sometimes you, you want to assist them. I saw so, you smoking a week ago. Yeah, what's happened now? <laughs> what's happening? I mean, these are clowns on the forums. Saki is Advaita Vedanta. Saki doesn't believe in duality. Saki follows Adi Shankaracharya Marg. And today, all of them are out of their houses saying, Nay, nay, sektaik vakri koma. And then for the rest of the 11 months of the year, Padanikata tells Andi vakri koma. Yeah, and it's also the same way. Like, okay, you know. There was no big sheet going on. This guy sheet, that guy sheet, and the very, very next moment, they will say, "Hey, you got some money? I gotta buy some dorde and theme." <laughs> some people only go to the gurdwara in this week. The rest of the year, they forget about the guru gurdwara sheet, the everything. The issue for me personally is that people who knew what's going to happen, well, they accepted the cost here. Yeah? But can you imagine, let's say, a Sikh infant who's like six, six, six months old, mm. who's being executed by the, let's say, the Mughals? You now he's being tossed into the air and impaled on a spear. Yep. Would you call them shades? At the end of the day, if they were killed for being, you know, the children of Sikhs, then they're associative martyrs, martyrs by association. Martyrs by association. Okay. I want to cover all bases here because there is a possibility that what we might say was not a possibility. I think it is going to be misinterpreted and mistranslated. Yep. Deliberately. Okay. Anyhow, so these are things that that, that, that should bother anybody. Yeah. If you are yeah. sitting, let's say you you're a civilian in a war zone, a bomb lands on your house and wipes out the entire family. Are they shaheed? What is the war going on for? I mean, if this is... See, I think in, in my view, my cold-hearted, grim view, you're only a shaheed today if it's ethnic cleansing, if it's a genocide. If there's Russians fighting the Ukrainians, both are Slav, both are Orthodox Christians, both, both live in the same geographic area. So what's, hmm. what's happening there? Okay, so when... We have, you know, in the Sikh context, even under Maharaja Ranjit Singh, when there were territorial battles, these battles were to wipe each other out. You know, today people are saying that, you know, we, like, look, as offensive as this is, they're just saying, let's give the middle finger to Israeli history. But, you know, I'm no avid spotter of Netanyahu, but one thing I'll say is that, you know, when Netanyahu went to meet Obama back in 2009, he gave Obama a pretty damn big lecture when Obama made the statement that, Israel needs to hold back. And this was the, you know, uh, upbraiding which Netanyahu gave him. And this was, you know, that the Middle East 
The Palestinians have over 58 countries which they can go to, but Israelis only have one Israel. During the Khalsa Raj, this is what we were saying as well. Those others, the Hindus, the Muslims, they have all these other territories they can go to, but we only have one Punjab. Point. Yep. Well, uh, I said you, you made a good point. And one of the most potent issues which happened, you know, and this is again related to the Israeli fingers, is that Ariel Sharon in 2005 made that surprise announcement that he's going to pull the settlers out of the, you know, Gaza Strip, out of the Western Bank. And uh, there was a massive uh, outcry against this, even though the poll showed that he had gone up. And, you know, Sharon was the man who for 40 years had actually pushed the settlers to settle down there. But, you know, this was a moment of conscience for Sharon when he realized that, you know, in the future, one day in the future, on the West Bank, the Arabs will outnumber the Israelis anyway, right? Outbred. Yep. And one day in the future, they will be given democratic rights to vote. They have so them today. How, yep. So how then could a 20% Israeli population versus an 80% voting Arab population preserve the essence of the Zionist state in Israel, where the population demography is, uh, you know, stunted out of favor from the start. And this is exactly what we need to consider, that if the Khalsa Empire had lasted, you know, today, if I was the president of the Khalsa Republic, I'm just giving an example, you know, I'm standing up there. Wouldn't I be doomed both ways if I kick all the non-Sikhs or a majority of them out of Punjab, out of the Republic, I'm the devil, if I don't give them democratic rights, then I'm the devil again. But if I do give them democratic rights and they outweigh the Sikhs and take over the Sikh state, what's meant to be a Khalsa state, I'm the devil again. So you were, you were sitting on a demographic time bomb. And that's exactly what Sharon realized. And credit goes to the Israeli population that they realized what he was doing was right. Ah, that's going towards an entirely different topic that I hadn't discussed. But the fact, but the fact was that, you know, when Sharon Zamir awakened, you know, he did it. The foremost reason he gave was that, you know, at the end of the day, give the Arabs what they want to hell with it. Let them have their own government. He never interfered again until they attacked him again. <clears throat> These Same are thing. The sort okay. of Yep. Same thing, let's say, same question, different, different characters. An Israeli soldier going on a patrol and, uh, let's say, a Hamas fighter hmm. going to ambush him. Who's the chi there? What's the conviction? What's the belief? Well, they are both fighting for their quote-unquote homeland. If Abdus, Smad Khan and Zakaria Khan are saying we are going to wipe out each and every Sikh, we're going to kill each and every Sikh, and the Sikhs are saying that we're going to kill them until they give us their own Raj, after that they can live you know, whatever way they want, as long as they don't interfere with us, we won't interfere with them. Who's the sheep? There, in my eyes, it will always be the Sikhs. Hmm. But if the ideology is to wipe out every last man, woman, and child off the other side, then that's not Shidi. 
this is something <clears throat> that we seek not just seek as as human beings you know we need to have a very clear idea of what exactly this concept holds you know <clears throat> few years back i ordered a book from the institute of seek studies you know martidom and sikhi and when the book came i was quite surprised because it was a very short book it was a selection of papers given at one of their conferences and after reading that book these were seek intellectuals mind you i realized that i already knew what they were talking about but these profound insights these profound discussions never happen what we have done now well we are committing thought crimes so they don't they, they can't afford to and there's the thing we need to do is we need to gear the seeks towards the spirit of autonomy and it can only come when we grapple with their past not the you know we need to have a certain mentality to interact with texts of the past bolo satnam you live in nostalgia yeah shri vahiguru <laughs> not just nostal- no- nostalgia self hating nostalgia that that those days were better today is not better today is shit the fact is to have that spirit to get her comer panth somewhere we need to grapple with these very hard questions very profound discussions we need to have these and we need to have these in our homes in our gurudwaras we need to have discussions with our our family members or with our children and also with people that you know have some brain hmm that's that's the thing that's the thing the sikh shahid is a sikh with a brain with a conscience and with the ability to distinguish between right and wrong that's all from me <laughs> okay another one of those stupid questions yep do you see any similarity between you lighting up let's say a rocket like a firecracker it goes mm-hmm. for 4 5 seconds then there's a let's say an explosion a firecracker goes boom yep do you see any similarity between that and a person who believes that their only target in life is to attain jihad and uh, let's say merge with vaiguru and uh, now probably live a life with the let's say quote unquote the old shaheeds of the old time no i don't see any difference and that's why something i like to make one last point down here is that you know the way all this has been thrown on us imposed on us kavi santok singh wrote this passage on shaheeds where he makes it out that the shaheeds are demigods so you see the concept of shiddi when it becomes typhoid when you start worshiping the concept held then can you be powerful enough to you know if you have to you know accept that cost in your life and it's become so bad today that now we have this theory of shiddi pojab heremardia you know that any shiddi today is a shiddi who was you know born in the past no. and 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 here's the funny one <clears throat> in the gurdwara before taking the beer sahib to someone's house what stardas such a pacha she di pojano kogi sanu phera dave you know and why can't why can't you say that empower empower us enough that to preserve your sanctity and your respect we accept the ultimate cost well that 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 will imply personal responsibility and you know, you know people don't like taking personal responsibility i was actually going to ask you this question as as my as my final question jihad di bera you know like vendor singh gambhir and pai gurikbal singh <laughs> there i said the names <laughs> and you know for 
all of Gambir's faults. Here's the thing. He actually called out Greg Balsing. One day in the UK, Greg Balsing made a claim that um, a Kara, a black guy, came to molest a Gursek Bibi and she did some Simran and uh, two sheet sinks appeared and the Kara went away to molest someone else. And Gambir asked him a question oh. that, you know, the Kara went away to molest someone else. But didn't our shades preserve the honor of women who weren't Sikh? <laughs> Gambir is asking Gambir questions. Gambir is asking Gambir questions. <laughs> the way he asks it is pretty um spot on. He tore right into him. It, it, it actually, okay. Okay, okay. We haven't talked about this. <clears throat> Mata Gujri. Yep. What is accepted? What's the story about her last day on this on this earth? How did okay, she so die? This is a matter for another episode, but what I'm going to say is that from my research, she was pushed off. She didn't kill herself, she was pushed off. Well, she wouldn't kill, kill herself, of course. She was pushed mm -hmm. off. There was no shady para, para for her. See, that's what Gambit asked as well. He said in, in the 80s, Delhi was the first one struck after the end of the Prime Minister was killed. Didn't those Sikhs do Simran? Didn't they recite Gurbani? So why did no Shidi Poja come to protect them? And Gurek Bal had no reply. It, it's some, it sounds something out of, out, out of science fiction, a comic book. You know, they don't come when you need them to, yeah. Like, that's that's the thing which people are asking, and that's how people's fate is broken and sicky and they're pushed away. Yeah, the question that the kid should be asking that Jihadi Mickey Mouse is that, why do you want me to blow myself up? Why don't you blow yourself up? Yeah, and take Donald with you as well. And take your, <laughs> Lola, not Pluto. I like dogs. <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. I understand what you mean. And that's the thing. And that's something, I guess, to conclude would be that, you know, this is a very profound topic in Sikhi, and you can only realize that sanctity, it's effective. You live like that. And I would advise our listeners that the next time they listen to us, they must eat like half a kg of pakoras beforehand. <laughs> Yeah, because these talks do make people hungry. That's what someone was saying to me, that, you know, I was like, why? And he said, because you guys talk so deeply, I waste all my energy thinking about it. And I said, waste? And he said, oh, I spend my energy thinking about what you guys say. Okay, so you are making people hungry, you're causing fights in Canada, and you... Are school, it was one New school. Yeah, well, it was in Canada, and you're creating trouble in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, all around famous. It's like you, you, you're launching rockets out of your backyard and they're landing all over the world. <laughs> all over the world. And here's the thing, one thing I'll end with. If you live with your Zamir awake, just remember that. The acceptable cost we discussed is the reality. It's not like a five percent, you know, the yeah. five percent possibility that you might die. It's not five. It's probably fifty. 
50. Khurasan Kasmekia, Hindustan Diraya. That's all for today. Thank you very much for listening to us. Vaheguruji Vaheguru 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 Vahe